Caught on the Suit, your Steve and Tony fandom podcast. I'm Ferret. And I'm Flame. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Ferret. Hey, Flame. Hey, fandom. Welcome to episode seven. Since it's Tony's birthday yesterday, <laughs> we're celebrating all things Tony. Big thank you to Smilestar for today's super sweet cover art. First, Courtney talks to me about why they love Tony, and then Fair and I talk Tony's tech, from learning algorithms and natural language processing to how the arc reactor works, which you all know means that Fair is going to teach me all of these things. <laughs> then we'll hear from you guys in Calm Talks. You'll get your trope off update and your events forecast. Let's get started. Well, hello, Potscastlandia, and welcome to part of our Happy Birthday Tony episode. I am here with Courtney, who is a fellow Tony fan, as many of us are around here, and is Storybook Colors on Twitter, if you have interacted with her there before. Courtney, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I love talking to anybody about Tony Stark. I will talk to a fence post about Tony Stark. So I'm really excited when intelligent, lovely people want to talk back. So let's start off the way we always do and give us your fandom origin story. So my fandom origin story starts in the way, way back machine, uh, back in the early 90s when... um, when dial-up was still a thing and we only had one computer in our house and reading an entire full-length fanfic would tie up the phone line for three hours. Um, so I kind of stumbled upon the idea of fan fiction as a concept when I was just, you know, bopping around the internet at like six or seven years old and discovered that someone had written an entire like book-length story about the Backstreet Boys. And I was fascinated by that because I did not realize that you could just write stories about whatever you wanted. Um, And thus my foray into fan fiction and the concept of writing your own stories and role-playing and everything else kind of evolved. And uh, over time I found, you know, the standards, fanfiction.net, all that kind of stuff. And um, I really kind of got heavily into the idea of reading and writing fan fiction myself um, later in my middle school years, uh, mostly through the Harry Potter community and wrote a lot of Harry Potter fanfic, read a lot of Harry Potter fanfic um, and just kind of, uh, that's when I really started to focus more on writing and then I wrote what many people uh, in a small corner of the internet would consider to be one of the worst Mary Sue insert Lord of the Rings fanfics of all time. Um, that is a, <laughs> and that how is I a know. crown to wear proudly, Courtney. Like, it, it is indeed. We've all I, had to um, do a Mary Sue it, at some point. Like, we've all gone through that phase. And so to have some sort of distinction, I think, is very impressive. I think I realized that like it was as I don't think I realized it was as bad as it was until I was I hadn't touched it in like six or seven years but I just kind of left it on the internet for posterity it's still out there somewhere in the ether 
Um, but I was like, I'm just going to leave this out here because it's funny and I like the nostalgia of it. And then one day when I was in college, I got an email from someone asking if they could use it as part of a presentation on Mary Sue fanfic for wow. a convention. Okay. And that's when I kind of had this moment of, oh God, I did not realize it was that bad, but there's like, and there's a parody fanfic of it somewhere too. Like it went that far down the rabbit hole. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm that person. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm honestly impressed legitimately. I mean, my, my Mary Sue stuff was all in Dawson's Creek, which is a fandom lost to time. Um, in a lot of ways so, but I have I think writing self-insert to the Mary Sue extreme legit for those of us in our 30s like late 20s and 30s is a fandom rite of passage so there's no judgment yes. on my end here at all so after your um you know academic presentation worthy Lord of the Rings fanfic what fandom did you hop to next oh gosh um I was stuck in Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter for a really long time. And then, uh, as so many people do, I found uh, Supernatural. As is the law. Yeah. <laughs> as, is the, as is the law. If, if it exists on the, on the internet, Supernatural will find it. Um, and um, by I was kind of a member of the Super Hulock generation of okay. Tumblr. Um, because around the time that I really discovered Tumblr and really fell down that Tumblr rabbit hole is just when like the super hulock was really starting to pick up as a thing. And so my primary fandoms were like Supernatural, Doctor Who, Sherlock. And then also around that same time period is when the first Avengers movie came out because I liked marvel i liked the marvel movies but until that first avengers movie came out i was not hardcore into reading and writing marvel fanfic um i think that movie in particular is really what sealed the deal for me because and part of it was at the time that that movie came out i was uh dating a girl who we had like completely opposite work schedules she was working like night shift at a grocery store and i was waiting tables and our schedules were absolutely insane and we were both broke so there wasn't a lot of like money to do stuff but there was a theater down the street within walking distance from her apartment that would show like really cheap matinee movies in the middle of the day and so I think we just kept going to see the Avengers together over and over. And we saw it like seven or eight times. And so I think the more that movie just kind of sunk into my subconscious, the more my love for Tony and really all of the Avengers just kind of grew and grew and grew. And that's really when I fell headfirst into the Marvel fandom. And here we are today. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of us that, you know, the 2012 Joss Re Wheaton found family bait movie, which is really what that is, is how oh, we're yeah. all here in some way, shape or form. So I totally get that. But out of those six, you know, originals, the one that seems to hold your heart is Tony. So talk to me about yeah. why you love Tony Stark. 
Oh my gosh. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I identify with him um, very strongly. I, like I said, I, part of the reason I came to uh, fanfic and part of the way I came to fanfic was through a lot of role playing. And I always wrote a lot as Tony because I guess something just in me identified with him and identified with that idea of feeling like you're not good enough and feeling like, you know, there's all these expectations that have been placed on you as a person and this idea of who you're supposed to be that you have to live up to and feeling like you are, you know, a failure for not living up to that and feeling like, you know, not good enough and maybe overcompensating in some ways with, you know, personality or alcohol or sex or what have you. And then at the end of the day, you know, realizing that being a good person and trying your best is what's important. Um, and that's kind of a journey that I had to go on was just, you know, learning that you know, it doesn't matter what other people's expectations of me are. It's, it's a matter of, you know, just waking up and getting out of bed every day and trying the best that I can that day. And that's something that Tony taught me. And that's something that I'll be forever grateful for. So he's, as a character, Tony Stark has gotten me through some of the most difficult times in my life um, because I've looked at all the bullshit he's been through and said, you know what, if I can get out of bed today and put one foot in front of the other, I'm doing good. And Tony would be proud of me. I think that's really lovely so. though. And one of the things that for me, when I see people who, you know, don't understand Tony and don't like him, it's those pieces that they don't seem to recognize in his character. It's, it's the pieces mm -hmm. of, I'm trying my damnedest to be human against all mm -hmm. odds right now is is the pieces that that people don't don't resonate with and i i find it really i resonate a lot with the similar reasons of the expectations and i i completely feel what you're saying of like i can't i can't be what everyone else wants me to be so fuck it let me just figure out who i am and that's i feel like mm -hmm. tony's 12 year arc from from iron man to end game is how do I do human on my terms? Absolutely. I feel like he, especially from the online community, there was a lot of Tony Stark hate, especially after Civil War, because everybody sees, you know, Steve Rogers, you know, the immovable, you know, tree in the storm. And Meanwhile, Tony's over here and everybody's like, well, Tony's just cooperating with the government. Tony's just towing the party line. And I'm like, but if you dig down deep into the way his psychology works, this is a guy who felt like he never really had a, a family. If you, if you buy into the Joss Whedon found family thing, it's this person who felt like he found this team, found this camaraderie and then watched it all start to crumble in front of his face and was prepared to do anything he had to to keep that family together and and steve was just you know in in my humble opinion steve was just being too stubborn 
and two, you know, centered on Bucky in that moment to really realize and see what Tony was trying to do. Because in that moment, Steve wasn't seeing the forest for the trees, which I think is always the case when it comes to Bucky and that dynamic. And I think a lot of the internet and fandom community that poured so much, you know, hate into Tony after uh, Civil War um, it, were kind of doing the same thing. They couldn't see the forest for the trees. They saw, you know, you're cooperating with, you know, for all intents and purposes, the bad guys. And they don't see that this is someone who is just desperate to protect the people that he cares about. I think that's a a fascinating, you know, dynamic when we really look at, I mean, one of the reasons I love fan fiction is because I don't give a flying fuck about canon. And what I, what I really, (laughs) really love is the human, the humans and creatures, you know, however we want to talk about it. I spent too much time in the Glee fandom to ever pay attention to a scrap of canon ever in my life again. So anything Ryan Murphy touches turns to crazy is just one of my life yes. mottos. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And at some point you just throw it out the window and say, I'm going to be over here with yeah, my toy. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard pass for me. So I love, mm-hmm. I love the, the people behind it and all of their motivations throughout canon makes sense to me until end game, which I've talked about on this pod, um, that it gets a little fuzzy for me at that point. I, but I, I understand their motivations and I love it. And I've never understood the, we have to hate one pe- person to love another person thing. It's just not in my DNA. Um, mm-hmm. And so canon is something I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about. And I'm curious if, if, you know, as we've been talking about Tony, there's been a lot of canonical examples, which is completely fair. But if you had, like, when you're reading him now or even writing him now, do you prefer canon or AU? Like, where are you kind of landing these days? I hard prefer AU these days, especially with, like you said, kind of the turn everything took in Endgame. Um, there were a lot of things I would have done differently with that. There were a lot of things I felt were set up to happen differently and just didn't work that way um there were uh, multiple characters that i kind of felt like got done dirty in those last two films and it was bad <laughs> so i i'm much more into the canon divergence these days and um you know i think the canon is a great jumping off point obviously but i i'm much more focused on the the canon divergent places um these days uh in fact one thing um one rabbit hole i did go down um that i didn't mention earlier is so that that um now ex-girlfriend of mine that we used to uh watch avengers so much we used to write a lot of stony fanfic together um and so when we finally did break up for a while there even though stony is my otp when it comes to tony it was hard for me to read it or to write it because i associated so many of those feelings with that relationship and so i really fell into the i ship tony with happiness side of things and it was just i just want to see tony with 
somebody who can make him happy and somebody who's going to take care of him. And so I, that's at the point in which I just kind of started exploring every Tony ship in existence because I started realizing that I just like good writing and I just like writers who get Tony no matter who they pair him with. And there's one particular um, Tumblr user um, who goes by the handle Bloody BT and she's not really in the Marvel fandom any longer. Um, I think they've kind of moved on to other things, but around the post-Civil War era Marvel MCU, um, they started really heavily writing a lot of um, Iron Falcon. Love it. Which I, had, which I had never read. I had never explored as a concept. And they started just writing these little drabbles on Tumblr. And then eventually they expanded it into a series that you can still also find on Tumblr. Um, tumblr under a lot of their winter uh a lot of their um iron falcon tags um where they did a uh, secret marriage verse where it's basically this concept of uh tony and um sam had met back while sam was still in the air force and they were married but it wasn't something that they talked about publicly for sam's safety and for tony's safety and it doesn't come out really to the rest of the team until after civil war. And it was so interesting to see that dynamic of, you know, Sam going back to talk to Tony and realizing the extent to which this had hurt him and realizing the extent to which he had been traumatized by what had happened. And to then see, you know, somebody write the thing that I had wanted to write or read for so long, which was somebody just going back to Wakanda and telling Steve the fuck off and just like, you know, punching him in the face because that's what I wanted to do after civil war. So, um, it was, it was good to just see the image of someone sticking up for Tony because I feel like one of the things that doesn't happen a lot in canon with, you know, maybe the exception of Pepper and Rhodey is people don't really stick up for Tony. They don't, they just see, you know, billionaire playboy philanthropist. He's, you know, he's Batman with more money and more brains. Um, and they don't see, you know, all the layers that are there possibly because Tony doesn't want them to, and he does a good job of hiding it, but it was nice to see somebody hold the rest of the team accountable and be like, you hurt him. And, you know, he's a human being. He's not just, you know, the tin man without a heart. So that was, that was something that I really fell into really strongly was the, um, was the Iron Falcon. And for a while, I actually helped um, moderate a uh, Iron Falcon uh, fanfic page on um, Tumblr, where uh, it was a group of different writers who would just answer different Iron Falcon writing prompts. Um, the project kind of got put on hold because, you know, life happened and, you know, everything else got in the way and we were all finding it hard to sit down and dedicate that time to writing on command really but 
I think that's really the time in which it kind of opened my eyes to just the idea of it doesn't have to be all stony all the time. Um, it's just a matter of, I like good writing. I like people that understand the way that I see Tony and I like people that, you know, whether it's angst or, you know, it's just the fluffiest thing you've ever read in your life. At the end of the day, I just want someone who understands Tony and feels about him the way that I do. And that's really what I prefer in my writing. And I feel like civil war. And after that, I just didn't really get that in the canon. So everything is kind of canon divergent for me now completely fair i mean i write largely au's entire like you know full-blown au's i'll dabble in canon divergent when Mm -hmm. somebody commissions it or if i've got a short prompt for it but i mean i love that like the tony and happiness and and all of those i've definitely read a lot of tony ships i've written a few i have a tony nat i keep meaning to go back to um and i love playing around with tony and sam i know as we're um Speaking right now, um, I am 93% Stardust has some really interesting Tony Sam stuff coming out um, Mm -hmm. and some Tony Stan Bucky stuff, which is great. And really there's only about three characters that I can't ship him with. And that's my own personal stuff and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I just love, I love the idea of someone who can see him. And however someone creates mm-hmm. that in the in the fic or the fan work or the pod fic or whatever, however they can create him being seen, I think is really what I love the most. Um, so I get exactly. that. So speaking of things you love, what are some, if you know people are looking to expand their Tony love, what are some fics that they need to read? Oh, so one of them, and I'm sure it's been recommended on this podcast before. Um, in fact, I think I may have actually found it because of this podcast. I can't remember. Um, but um, You Great Unfinished Symphony, You Sent for Me by Ketchup Crisp. I can't say enough good things about it. Um, I kind of missed out on the Polly Avengers trend of you know, the first Avengers movie, I won't say missed out. I was around for it, but the concept of like the whole team together just never clicked for me. It wasn't something that made sense to me. And there are so many tropes in this one particular fic that are normally not my cup of tea. I'm normally not into the um, BDSM universe AUs. I'm normally not into the polyship of the entire Avengers team. It's there's so many dynamics and, and things going on in it that is not normally my bag that I normally wouldn't have picked up this fic. But I was looking so hard for some kind of fix it post end game that would satisfy my, you know, dissatisfaction with the general way that the whole shebang ended. And I stumbled across this fic and it is everything that I never knew I wanted. Um, It is the entire team just loving and appreciating Tony and helping him heal from his trauma and helping him process and learn about himself and helping him love himself through his relationship with these 
alternate versions of the people that he, you know, once cared so much about in this other universe. And it is just one of the most perfect pieces of fan fiction I could ever possibly imagine. And I never would have imagined it. I never would have picked it up had it not been recommended. And I said to myself, okay, I'll give it a try. So if it's one of those things where like you read the description and you're like, I don't know if this is for me, give it a couple chapters and, and really give it some time because it, it was literally life changing. (laughs) Um, and so that's my that's my serious pitch for like you need to read this this is amazing it will change your life and um then my pitch for um i just want to read something that is smutty and completely just filth on the page but it makes me happy um i recommend this fic to people all the time um heed the warnings because <laughs> it's very much just smut all smut all the time but um it's literally titled the one where tony is the meat in a super soldier sandwich uh it's by whisper elmwood yeah yes it's one of my favorite fix of all time it's one that i've gone back and reread multiple times i have it saved on my chrome browser (laughs) um and it's completely filthy but it's also once again, it's, it's just someone who writes really well and gets into, you know, that uh, when you read it, you can imagine the characters saying these things, no matter how like out of place, maybe the situation is like in your head, you're thinking, okay, in actual canon, there's no way this would happen with Bucky and Tony and Steve, but the way that it's been written on the page you can, you know, you can hear it in the characters' voices. You feel like the person who is writing this isn't just writing it to write a piece of smut. They're writing it as, you know, smut that also they understand the characters. They understand, you know, how to get in their head and how much of a, you know, praise kink Tony has and the fact that he just wants people to focus on him and love him and shower him with affection in the filthiest of ways possible. So um, I really enjoy that one. And then another one that I recently just discovered and I actually haven't finished yet, but I am working my way through right now. And it's kind of the, this is what I'm reading right now um, is Wait and See by Lena Lena, um, which is an AU, completely AU of, um, Tony and Steve uh, kind of Mr. and Mrs. Smithing it. They don't know each other and they're both sent as undercover agents to pose as a married couple on a cruise ship for a spy mission, basically. And, um, you know, love ensues because, you know, two people pretending to be married, you know, on a cruise ship. It's pretty much just all the tropes but it's really good um it it's exactly what it says on the tin and so much more um and i've really enjoyed it so far um like i said i'm not completely completely through it all the way at this point i just started it actually a couple days ago and unfortunately because i'm a big girl uh life and work sometimes gets in the way of my reading pastime but um it's it's been 
a lot of fun so far. And so I recommend if you're the kind of person who really likes AUs to check that one out if you haven't already. Amazing. I can't wait. I've heard that one in the ether. I've seen links a couple times and I usually hold off reading whips, but man, that one might be too good to pass up. So I might have to have to dive in while it's still publishing. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for joining us on Tony's birthday celebration. Thanks so much for having me. And, uh, As we go into the next segment, let us all continue to celebrate Tony. So because it is Tony's birthday weekend and we want to celebrate all things Tony, it only seems appropriate that one of the things that is the most Tony is his brilliant technical mind and um, engineering skills and all of the amazing stuff that he builds. And uh, we as a fandom adore Tony's output. We love Jarvis. We love Dummy and You and Butterfingers. (laughs) And, And we love the arc reactor. There's, and the armor, there's um, definitely armor kink fic out there, which I heartily encourage you to explore. And some arc reactor kink too. There's some like coming on the arc reactor and the light of the arc reactor. I mean, I have a huge arc reactor kink. I love it. So I kind of wanted to just like, I guess this is mostly a let's talk, but it's got a little bit of creator corner edge to it too, because I think having a little bit of an understanding about how some of Tony's tech works in a broad sense makes it easier to write that stuff into stories. And I will say that one of the hardest parts of writing Tony for me and for a lot of other people I've talked to, I don't know if you experienced this too, Flame, is making him smart enough because the whole point is that Tony is smarter than all of us could ever be. So to write something that reflects that genius while knowing that you are not that smart um, is it's a challenge. And it's this line between showing the things that he understands without either confusing your readers or putting so much research time into it, which I, I admit some people may love, <laughs> I do not, but so much time into that, that you never actually managed to get the fic done. So, yeah. yeah, this is one of the benefits of writing AUs. I just don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Like I can make him really smart in a lot of other ways, or I can make it like, you know, I can, if I want to make him Tony Stark of Stark Industries, like I can have other people talk about how incredible he is. I do that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Have him so, framed by outsider perspective. Yeah. Because no, and I don't understand science or technology and I don't want to. So um, I don't gravitate towards fix where it goes into a whole lot of detail about the tech just because it's not my language and it's not something I feel comfortable talking about even if I did a bunch of research. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my answer is always just AU. Yeah. I just cheat that way. Yeah, I, I can't help thinking about celestial navigation and Tony's um, you know, astronomy and space science knowledge and how Saber manages to put in enough understanding from Tony that readers go, oh, wow, he's, he's smart and he knows things that the average bear doesn't know and he knows things that I don't know, um, while still making it, even though it's Tony's POV, which makes it even harder because he gets this stuff. You know, if it's Steve's POV, it could be like, and then Tony talked about stars for a while and I didn't get it. <laughs> um, yeah. But to be able to work that in, and I know she did a lot of research for that. Um, so 
yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's a big thing. He's a hard character to write in that way. If you want to give examples to show how smart he is. And, and that's another, like we have talked about show don't tell in this before. And two of the ways that we can show how smart Tony is, is to have him be smart in application, show him doing a smart thing or show him talking about a smart thing or have other characters comment on how smart he is or experience his genius in a way that like they can't follow what he's saying or, you know, all these different kinds of ways. But if you, but I, I also just fucking love his technology. So like, I get really excited about the details of how this stuff works, not necessarily even to write it, but just because I think that it's fun. And I don't think that we can talk about Tony's tech without talking about Jarvis and just the concept of artificial intelligence and, and how it's used in the movie and, and how it's used in real life. Because I think some people probably don't have a, a real grasp on how much artificial intelligence we are already interacting with all the time. And that, you know, our smartphones are employing lots of different versions of, of artificial intelligence. And there are learning algorithms, which are basically just programs that are able to take the input that they receive and alter their output, not in a one-to-one -one relationship, but in a growing learning way. So for instance, um, Google's uh, ad system watches the stuff that you click on and the stuff that you like and the websites you spend time on. And it uses all of that information to determine the ads that it thinks that you will be most likely to click on. And then when you click on those ads, it learns from that and improves the way that the algorithm works. That's a real broad strokes explanation, but we see Jarvis as like the ultimate learning algorithm because all of the input that he gets, he turns into improved output in the future. And we don't even like, we're coming in, Tony's in his uh, late thirties, early forties. I think he's 39 when it starts, if I'm remembering correctly, um, in Iron Man 1. And he is, Jarvis is already very advanced at that point, but we can imagine the Jarvis that Tony built, you know, when he was 20 or whatever. And the process of developing Jay into what he becomes at the end. And really the, his capacity for learning is one of the things that makes him astounding and better than any AI in that sense that we currently have now. But as a linguist, the thing that hits me the most is his natural language processing. So Tony is able, so that means that Jarvis can listen to Tony speak as humans speak to each other and figure out what it is he's asking for. So you might, if you've ever used a bot on Discord, you know that you have to do like the little symbol, like maybe a slash or a dot or a hashtag, and then a command and that's gonna get the result that you want. So for instance, in the, um, in the pot server, there's a command, um, I think it's like hashtag love gun or something that makes a picture pop up where Steve's got the gun from um, Avengers 1, but it's shooting all these hearts instead of bullets. So if you just said, 
And that bot's name is, um, I think that bot's name is Jarvis. And so if you say, if you just type, hey Jarvis, give me, give me the love gun picture, the bot's not gonna do anything because you had to tell it hashtag love gun, which is an exact command that it has in its programming somewhere. But natural language processing means that artificial intelligences can see you say, hey, give me the love gun picture and they can process what it is you're asking for. Even if the next day you said, can I see the love gun picture? They're gonna, both of those times, they will give you the love gun picture if they have that kind of advanced natural language processing. If you have an Alexa or a Google Home in your house, then there's a lot of that developing and improving. And like we're the, that kind of interaction that you have with your home device is leaning heavily on natural language processing. But you also know that there, if you've ever had a fight with your Google Home or your Alexa, you know that there's a lot of specificity and structure that has to be in place. You can't talk to your Google Home the same way that you talk to your sister and get the, and get the same results. So Jarvis is, is the most advanced we can see in natural language processing and that Tony can say any number of formulations and Jarvis can process it as effectively as humans can process it. And language is like, I mean, here's why I became a linguist. This is like, this it's really fucking cool. <laughs> so I think if you want to, I think that like in terms of writing, if you want to talk about Jarvis, these are the things that make him special and why is his comic books and not real life? Because he has jumped ahead of several steps of the kinds of things that um, computational linguists and computer scientists and software architects are all working to develop to, to work towards something that can be so natural and so effective, so effective at learning and so natural in its language processing that it's indistinguishable from a human. And that's what we get with Jarvis. And I think that that's part of why we love him so much because he seems like a real person and then later becomes a real person. Uh, but yeah, and like the flip side is we like dummy so much because he lacks all of that. And I love that you can see that Tony's, Tony started out with like the very physical side of, of robotics and the artificial intelligence that dummy has is presumably, especially in the beginning, very basic. And he has some sort of networking capacity with Jarvis where Jarvis processes, does the natural language processing and then relays that in the language that dummy's gonna understand to get him to do commands. At least that's how I have always interpreted it. I don't know if other people think that dummy has his own natural language processing centers, but that's a decision you can make. I don't think there's anything in canon that would tell us which way that goes. Anyway, I could talk about that all day. Flame's, Flame's already napping. <laughs> I am eagerly learning <laughs> uh -huh. and paying attention. Taking notes. <laughs> when I need to write this kind of stuff, I either hand wave it or ask you questions. It's like <laughs> when I when you need cocktails, you come to me. When I need tech stuff, I go to you. Um yeah. So that's the that's like the AI side of things, Tony of Tony's brilliance. And like one of the things that makes Tony that much more brilliant is that he he's he's at immense capacity in multiple fields because 
with AI, even, even what he's able to build on his own takes a team IRL. So he's touching on a whole bunch of fields already just by making Jarvis. But then when we move into the arc reactor, there's mechanical and electrical um, engineering that goes into that as well as like nuclear physics. (laughs) So if we add up just the arc reactor and Jarvis, both of which we have no reason to believe he didn't build alone, he's just destroying in some of the most challenging and, and complicated fields that intersect all on his own in multiple ways. And that's just crazy. And that's why like we can say he's a comic book character because we'd be hard pressed to find a real person who really can do all of those things. I know there's a lot of comparisons to Elon Musk, but Elon Musk doesn't do all of these things by himself. So arc reactor, A, I fucking love it. And I think that like on a side note, since we are talking about Tony this episode, the beauty of the arc reactor, why, why Tony fans love the arc reactor so much is it's that like built in visible weakness that he's overcome. Like, I don't flame. Do you, do you have an arc reactor thing? Do I have an arc reactor thing? Yeah, I think I do. I think I do. I think I really like, because for me, it's the, it's also a continued vulnerability. So it's, he's overcome it, but it's also continued. Um, And I love that it's the, it's the middle finger to everybody else that Obi was wrong. Um, And that he's not just this, because even like when you were saying Elon Musk, my immediate thought was like, well, Elon Musk has the social skills of a teaspoon um, from everything we can see. Whereas Tony is Tony. Like, so not only does he have all of these things, but he also has the human component which is missing from a lot of, I mean, research shows missing from a lot of super geniuses that the ability to process mechanical engineering and human emotions are like in often different parts of the brain, hashtag Sheldon Cooper. So, you know, it's like, he is a comic book character. He is, he is out there. I love the arc reactor. I also love writing my AUs without the arc reactor, but still giving him a heart issue. Yeah. Um, and my dad has a defibrillator implanted and we jokingly call it his arc reactor yeah. um, because it keeps him alive. Yeah. And if he, if anywhere we are in the world, if something's wrong with his heart, it texts his doctor. And then his doctor knows if he's, if he's not well before we do. To me, that's like miraculous medical technology and it's nothing compared to what I can write in a fic. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that is another like, point that I kind of wanted to touch on earlier was just that like we're already living with a lot of this stuff like some of this is like book science like this is an extrapolation of what we can do and like it's not unreasonable to think that we'll we'll get to these points like this is this is based in real science it's not magic yeah which is one of the reasons I'm drawn to Marvel versus um some of the other fandoms that I've been in, in longevity, because I like the, the, I don't remember who said it. I have Tony saying it in my thick, but it's a quote from somebody else. That's um, tech, not like magic is just science. We haven't proven yet. Yeah. And um, that's how I feel about science. That's not like technology and science and everything. It's just magic. We haven't proven yet. And, um, or we don't have data on yet or whatever. And so that's why I like playing with Tony. 
um, along those ways because I, yeah, it's, it, it exists. A lot of this exists. It just doesn't, I should be clear. My dad's defibrillator does not glow. <laughs> Bummer. Um, just to let everybody know. Uh, but we still, it's still, it's a little bump above his skin. Like it's not completely hidden. And so we can still see it when he wears, you know, when he wears his business suits, like you can see his arc reactor there that's there keeping him alive. Um, should tell you a lot about my family and our company that the whole company knows I call it that, but that's, I digress. <laughs> um, the 12 Marvel Funko dolls probably didn't give it away. But um, I think it's a beautiful reminder too of the reason a lot of us love Tony and gravitate towards Marvel fandom in general is that it tends to not be full of superhumans or aliens Steve and Bucky nonwithstanding, it's Sam and it's Tony and it's Pepper and it's people with potentially not supernatural abilities who make supernatural decisions. Yeah, yeah. And like stand beside those who do have supernatural abilities and keep up with them. Like, yeah. And we can do that. So, um, yeah, the, so I love the arc reactor. So I've been like, I've, I've studied a lot and like uh, tried to determine how it works and, and like what the, what Canon tells us about the arc reactor. So I thought I would pass on some of what I know. <laughs> so first of all, uh, straight up what the arc reactor is. If we go back to Iron Man one, Tony gets hit with the shrapnel. He's got tiny, tiny pieces of metal that are embedded so far in his body that they're in his bloodstream and in his muscle tissue. And Yinsen performs the emergency surgery and he's not able to get all of the shrapnel out of Tony's chest. And so there's this idea that the natural movement of Tony's body, the blood flow, muscle contractions, all that kind of thing are going to push these pieces of shrapnel through his bloodstream and into his heart where they'll do irreparable damage to the muscles of his heart and prevent it from working. So unlike Flame's dad, a defibrillator isn't going to solve the problem because his heart is going to be destroyed if the shrapnel keeps going. And Yinsen mentions that it's it's like, they call it like the walking dead or whatever. If people get hit with those tiny bits of shrapnel and they survive from the blast they die later because that shrapnel is slowly working its way through their body and they don't even know so um what yinsen does is he builds an electromagnet a straight up it's a battery and it's a coil to make an electromagnet so all it is is a very powerful magnet that keeps the shrapnel from moving any further because it's trapped in the field from the magnet so when we see tony with the original, the OG, 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 not arc reactor, but unit in his chest and it's hooked up to the car battery. That is why it's literally just a magnet. So the problem that he had to solve wasn't how do I build a device that keeps my heart pumping or, you know, restarts it if it stops like the defibrillator or, you know, a pacemaker that keeps it pumping at a particular rate. <clears throat> that's not Tony's problem. He solved the problem of the shrapnel. He needs a magnet that's powerful enough to keep the shrapnel from moving. The problem is he's walking around with a giant car battery to power that magnet. So what the arc reactor itself, we call the whole unit an arc reactor, but it's actually an electromagnet that is powered by the arc reactor. And that makes up the whole unit that sits in his chest. So 
there have been, I'm going to link to an article that I really love that's um, about, it's a theory about how the fusion works in the arc reactor to, um, to make electricity basically that powers the, the magnet. And I think it's super cool. And there's very little like, not even magic, but there's very little science we don't know yet that needs to be assumed in order to explain what's happening. And I love that. It shows that people really gave it some, either the designers gave it some thought or it's just luck that it works that way. But basically um, there's the theory by this person who, like I said, I'll link to, um, is that there's two isotopes of palladium that are involved and one emits high energy electrons as it decays and the other one is accelerated to high velocity on the outside of the arc reactor and um, the electrons escape the core and are directed by magnetic fields into the outer ring and that the lack of electrons creates a net positive charge in the core. It, you can read the thing if you want like the full breakdown but I think the thing that matters most to us is that the, the isotopes of palladium as they decay in real life, they produce an isotope of silver, um, but also love this, an isotope of rhodium. And uh, so we get a little incidental rhodium reference there. Um, and those two heavy metals are likely what causes Tony's um, palladium, they call it palladium poisoning in the show, but it actually makes sense that if instead what it is, is that the decay of the palladium, which they show when they take the arc reactor out and you can see the core has expired, um, it's actually turned into a mix of rhodium and silver. Um, and if you know anything about heavy metal toxicity, it's, it's, some of it is largely unknown. It's not like a world of medical science that's hugely advanced there are definitely some heavy metals we don't know what kind of like what kind of impact it would have on people if they had regular exposure so tony being exposed to rhodium like that could absolutely cause symptoms of heavy heavy metal toxicity that um the blood tester he does is testing how much of his bloodstream has is you know been affected by this and um the the symptoms, like he would just, he would feel really shitty. He'd be tired. Like we don't even really know what the symptoms of rhodium poisoning might be. Um, but that's why as he burns through these cores, he's damaging his body. And um, I believe silver, but possibly also rhodium both dye the skin blue. So that might be why we're seeing those, the like train tracks, the little digital kind of lines that that come out. The road rash is how he called it. Um, and the blue light, this person postulates, could be from Cherenkov radiation, which is like, I'm not going to go into that. But um, there's a reason why this kind of reaction inside the arc reactor might produce that blue light as well. And also, incidentally, also goes into why it wouldn't be hot to the touch, because you think if you had a tiny nuclear reactor in your chest, it would just burn you up. <laughs> um, but again, I could talk about that for years. But uh, I'll, I'll leave the nuclear physics to people who are interested in that. Um, but at the end of the day, the idea is that the arc reactor isn't just 
like a magic button. It's definitely based in science. And there, there are people who have broken down that science. And if you want to get into it and you want to think about how it would affect him and what kinds of outcomes, various arc reactor interactions or changes or damages could have, I think reading about this stuff can be really helpful for that. But if you understand how it works, it also raises some questions that Marvel doesn't do a great job of answering. And the big one is there are two instances where Tony's arc reactor malfunctions in some way pre having the uh, shrapnel removed. And it's not entirely clear why he has the reaction that he has. So the first time when Obi takes the arc reactor, we could pause it, the little um, like paralyzer thing that Obi uses in Tony's ear. We could pause it that Tony's extreme negative reaction and how he had to crawl down and he's all sweaty and gross when Rhodey finds him. Perhaps that was all a side effect of the uh, of the paralyzer. But when Pepper is fixing his chest and she pulls the thing out and he says he's going to go into cardiac arrest. And then also when in Endgame, when we are, we've got Avengers 1, Tony and Ant-Man pulls the pops a fuse or something on the arc reactor. Um, I can't remember how they like explain what he's doing, but he dismantles the temporarily dismantles the arc reactor in some way. Um, Tony has a heart attack then too. And I'm left with the question, if the entire point of the arc reactor is not in fact that it's a pacemaker that manages the beats of his heart, but that it's a, a it's a, just a power source for an electromagnet that keeps the shrapnel from moving into his heart, then why is it that the second the arc reactor turns off, he has a heart attack? Well, I've done some research. Into it. Go ahead, because I'm curious. <laughs> I've done some research into it to see if anyone comes up with an idea. Uh, and I've seen that the one that I like best, the only one that I think makes sense to me is that because of the nature of the reaction that's happening in the arc reactor, having it suddenly disabled in some way, like leaves a surge that essentially he's now electrocuted himself. And so his heart stops. Um, it does like the thing, the scene with Pepper pulling it out and him being like, I'm going to go into cardiac arrest doesn't really jive with that, but there's also changes between Iron Man one where she does that too. I don't remember. One, Cause one. I never rewatched two. So, okay. It's in so one. one where she does that. And then the chronologically Avengers one, when he has the heart attack, when they're taking Loki out of the tower, mm -hmm. um, there, he does make changes in the middle there. He changes it to vibranium before Avengers one. Right. I mean, in my mind, yeah. he just continually fiddles with it always. Yeah. Yeah. I think the change to, or not vibranium, um, but the change to badassium, the other element that doesn't actually get a canon name, but there's like a can't remember where it was either an interview or word of God or something that he calls it badassium. Um, but the element that he invents with his, from his father's like help or whatever that solves the decay problem. Like we can just assume that the new element is essentially the same as palladium, but when it decays, it's a lot less toxic. It decays a lot slower, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the only thing in between. 
the thing that I would say about like cardiac arrest is that, <clears throat> so for people who don't know, your heart has an electrical system and a blood system. So there's two, like when people have heart problems, they either have plumbing problems or electricity problems. Mm-hmm. And so it's entirely, so what my father went into um, tachycardia, which is essentially that the electrical system malfunctioned. And there's a lot of different reasons why that can happen. Irregular heartbeat, a surge of something, a stroke. Like there's a lot of re- ways that you can go into ventricular tachycardia. Um, and so I, even before my dad's accident, that's what I assumed Tony's thing was, was that when, was that Obi's thing just rewrote the electrical system in his body for a little bit. And that the other things too, were that there was some sort of hand wavy elemental reaction because the human body is not actually meant to have foreign elements in it. Um, and so in that way, so anything to do with the electricity would make the most sense to me. um, just from my personal experience of living with somebody with an arc reactor. Yeah. I think, I think that's why, that's why I like the electrical explanation better than any kind of plumbing explanation, because the whole point is that like Yinsen says straight up, you're the walking dead for a week, the shrapnel moves slowly and then it will kill you. And it will kill you suddenly when it does kill you. And that's like, it is, it is ripped once it's ripped through your heart. Like that's not a, it's not going to give you cardiac arrest. You get, you get defibrillated, you come back and now your heart's totally fine and the damage is reversed. That's not how that works. So the reason he has a heart attack sort of has to be an incidental electrical issue caused by the arc reactor itself suddenly turning off instead of a direct direct result of the shrapnel that it, that's in his body. So if you want extra hurt comfort, then essentially Tony has made himself dependent on to some degree a pacemaker because at that point in the story before the shrapnel gets removed and he like revamps everything because disrupting the arc reactor it is now tied to the electrical systems in his body and a sudden surge of electricity can easily stop the heart so he's basically hooked himself up to an extremely unpredictable He's, he's essentially got an, the opposite of a defibrillator in his chest. He has a machine where if it suffers an electrical surge because of damage or because of, you know, him being, him getting shocked or whatever, or what have you, or sudden stop that was sudden, sudden unexpected stop can actually use the same method that a defibrillator uses to start the heart, to stop the heart. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and the thing is too, what what we know about the human body constantly evolves as well, which is what's fun about this and how we understand how hearts work and how we understand how bodies work. But I love the idea that he essentially has a, has a car battery within him. And that's yeah. often how I like that. That's all he did. He took what, what Yinsen did for him, made it tiny and shoved it in his, in his chest. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially exactly what happened. Exactly so. what he did. And so yeah. I love the hurt comfort of that. I love Fix in, that are canon centric that Iron Man one talks about how he, it's really hard for him to breathe because it would be because he's yeah. moved his lungs around. Like, I like that kind of like chasing the rabbit hole of what are the physical and emotional ramifications of the arc reactor. Yeah. It's a big medical thing and nobody has experience with it. And I think that like, I mean, obviously like from an outside perspective, the reason he has a heart attack is because it's dramatic and and people like watching him suffer. So like, the, and then in Endgame because they needed a distraction. So like yeah. from a writer perspective, they threw that in there knowing that 
they didn't really have to explain it because most people aren't going to think about why the arc reactor works with that much detail that they'd be like, wait a minute, you know, obviously Reddit thinks about that a lot, but like the average person is just going to be like, oh yeah, he's got a pacemaker and they fucked with it. And now he's having a heart attack, but it's nice that we can come up with semi-reasonable medical explanations for why it happened as well, because we're fic writers and we like that kind of thing. Yeah. I just, I love fandom. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Me too. Um, anyway, I think I've nattered on for six million years, but at the end of the day, the point is Tony's tech is brilliant and awesome. And if you're interested, cause you can totally write whatever the fuck you want without caring, whether it's either medically or technically accurate. But if you're interested, there's actually like a lot out there of people who are in these fields who are interested and, and come up with explanations and come up with, you know, answers for these kinds of questions. And for me, reading about how it works fuels, you know, I have solved plot holes and stories of mine that I was suffering with by reading about the technology and going, oh, like that gives me an idea for how I could make that play out. So that's my vibe. Obviously, if you have a vibe about the arc reactor or Jarvis or dummy or you, or you want to try to convince Ferret that Butterfingers exists in <laughs> canon, we always, <laughs> we are always open to chatter about Tony's tech and it is one of the best ways to celebrate his birthday. Um, so happy birthday, Anthony Edward Stark, you magnificent genius. Last episode, we had some long conversations about dark fic, and those long conversations moved to various servers, DMs, Twitter, Tumblr. This one seemed to cause a lot of chatter with you guys, which was exciting because we don't get a lot of live reactions um, to to the degree that this one got. So we're glad we were able to provide this service. Overall, first of all, I mean, again, let me reiterate, we love it to hear from you guys. We're not joking. Uh, we, we read every conversation that we were tagged in or that took place in a space that we saw it. We loved it. And we noticed a couple patterns and we want to kind of affirm that many of you were saying the same thing across many different spaces. One of the things that I really noticed was, um, a lot of people talked about their personal reasons for why they particularly like to read or write dark fic um, or fix where characters are are dealing with really dark topics or difficult topics. Um, and I love that a lot of people felt safe talking about their personal experiences and the things that dark fic has helped them cope with or adjust to or the catharsis that it gives them because of their personal experiences. Love that. It was great to also see such a variety. There's not one particular reason why dark fic might appeal to you. Lots of different reasons. People liked it in different ways. Even on the podcast, you heard two interviews and people liked it in different ways. Um, And then at the end of the day, I kind of wanted to wrap all of that in the umbrella that you don't one or many or none of these reasons may be your reason for enjoying dark fic, but you also don't need to define a reason. A lot of people said they liked it because it helped them cope with their trauma or express things they were afraid of in a safe place, um, things like that. But also if it just, if you just like it, that's okay too. And 
um, we can, we can sort of make this nest for everybody. And, um, and I love that people were sort of coming in from all corners showing that because there are so many different reasons why you might like this, like a certain genre, it's also, you, if, if you can't put your finger on exactly what it does for you, also totally cool. You are welcome there too. And there doesn't need to be, uh, ex- ex- explicitly we see with dark fic that people feel the need to sort of excuse it or have a reason why or explain like, oh, it's my emotional support dark fic, so it's okay. And just wanted to sort of bundle that all together that we don't need that, so it's okay. It's just okay. It's just okay. You can like dark messed up stuff. It doesn't mean that you're darker messed up. It doesn't mean that um, it doesn't require an explanation or a disclaimer or anything like that. Humans like lots of different kinds of stories and some people like Star Wars and some people like Old Guard and some people like Marvel and also some people like Wump and some people like Fluff and that is just, that's just human brains. So love all your reasons. Thank you for sharing them. Anyone who, who doesn't have a reason and was feeling maybe that they shouldn't like it because they don't have an excuse to like it, you don't need one. You're good. You can like it too. The other conversation that I noticed was that there was a lot of uh, constant debate back and forth over exactly what is dark fic and that people really appreciated key, uh, Key's definition a lot and, and folks were still playing with that in their own spaces of what constitutes dark fic. And again, for that topic, I want to reiterate what Farrah just said. It is what it is to you. If you read a fic that you think is really dark and the author didn't tag it as dark fic, it's not necessarily your responsibility to tell them that it's dark fic because it might not be dark to them um, and vice versa. That They tag something as dark fic and it's not dark enough for you. We all exist on a spectrum and, we, and fandom definitely does. And so kind of understanding what you're looking for, if, if you can't quite put your finger on it, that doesn't, doesn't mean anything. We've heard from dark fic authors that they tend to get a lot of those kind of comments. That, that they are doing dark fic wrong or they are doing fic wrong somehow. So we wanna say there is no way to do fic wrong. Um, there is a way to do fic potentially problematically or potentially using abusive characteristics or potentially doing it you know, badly in terms of writing styles or what have you. <laughs> but there's not a way to do it wrong in the way that those comments always suggest. So again, we at Pod on the Soup would like to affirm that dark fic is valid. The people that create it are valid and wanted and essential part of our fandom community. The people that consume it are the same way. The people like me and Ferret that go back and forth and and kind of move in different angst levels for different fics we write, we're all necessary and valid because the human experience is wide. It involves both undulating joy and, and stuff so sweet that you'll get cavities and body horror and really intense graphic descriptions of violence. Humanity is as wide, fandom is as wide as humanity is. And that's a good thing. You just get to choose if you interact with it or not. That's it. There's no judgment passed on anybody else. And so we want it, we want to remind people too, those of us in fluff get, get some horrible comments sometimes. Um, for sure, not saying we don't, but sometimes the stuff that goes to the dark writers is a little bit more pointed. And so we wanted to, to make sure that that is, that that was stated. 
we hope you guys will keep having conversations. If you want to talk about Tony or share any birthday creations that you have made for Tony, please do that in the server. Tag us on Tumblr. We love to reblog, retweet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, yeah, we just want to say happy birthday, Tony. And um, and uh, thanks for celebrating him with us. Up next, we are going to talk about Tropoff. So you may have noticed that we're on a bit of a different podcast schedule these days. Some life has happened. And for the rest of this season, we're going to be on a bit of amended of an amended schedule. This, of course, affects how many trope-off updates that you get per episode. So in this particular one, we've been away from the mic for three weeks. So Ferret has a lot to update us on. Ferret, what is going on? All right. So last we talked, we were in the midst of unrequited feelings versus sex pollen. I think it's closer than you might think. I was surprised. Unrequited feelings took 53% and sex pollen took 47%. Oh, that is closer than we thought. Yeah, that's pretty close. So um, I think that's like, that's an improvement for sex pollen? Yes. Versus previous. Yeah. Last time sex pollen got destroyed by Wump. So it's now had two losses, which means that sex pollen is out of the running, but it did do a better showing in its second battle that it did it in its first. And I don't th- think that it was like unfairly up against the two winners or anything like that, like necessarily, like it wasn't like the, the runaway favorites. So it had a fair shot. And it didn't make it. So we say so long, farewell to sex pollen. Thank you for your time. And also everybody, please don't stop writing sex pollen just because it didn't win. It's still nearly half of people preferred it to unrequited feelings. So, you know, the point of trope off is not to exclude tropes. It's to celebrate all of them (laughs) and then crown a winner, but whatever. Nobody is getting voted off the island. We're just doing a hierarchy of houses. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. We're all still going to live together. Yep. So then in the first weekend that we didn't speak, we had, I say that like we were not talking to each other. We were, but we didn't speak with you guys directly in this way. (laughs) Um, We had multiverse versus time loop. I'm actually surprised. Okay, because my I would say that that time loop would take it, knowing what I've been seeing in the tags. Yeah, and so hearing me say I'm actually surprised, you will now not be surprised to learn that time loop did not take it. Yeah, I mean that's my preference is multiverse, so that's exciting for me. Yeah, multiverse actually a fairly definitive win, sixty six to thirty four. Oh yeah, that is a definitive win. Interesting. Interesting. And like, I feel like multiverse is so, this may be a broad to narrow issue again, which we do run into where multiverse can mean so many different things and time loop is very specific, but I will say Groundhog Day AU is something that gets, which is essentially just asking for a time loop is something that gets requested fairly frequently. And like in prompt memes, I've had it requested of me several times, even though I wrote one. Um, And it's just something that like, it's, it's considered a standard AU. People say Groundhog Day AU and everybody knows what they mean. So like it's an established thing. 
Yeah. And I wrote like four of them last year for the Steve Tony games because that was one of the things on the bingo square. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Time Loop did about the same in its first battle against wrong number texting AU, which fair, that's that's hard one up to be up against. But it lost 63 to 36 in that one. And now we've got 66 to 34. So Time Loop is out and it seems like people kind of want it to be out. Yeah, it's not super popular. Sorry to the 30% of folks who really love it. Yeah, we've got that uh, broad to narrow issue again. So the narrow ones are being punted left and right. Then in our second week off, we had Wump versus Medieval Barbarian AU. And not I mean, like Wump won, obviously. It didn't. <gasps> it didn't. It was relatively close. 44 to 56. Medieval Barbarian AU took it. Oh, that's true. There are a lot of Medieval Caveman Gladiator prompts going around these days that's yeah, fair i think it's a i think it's in a phase though medieval barbarian you lost very decidedly to fix it earlier on and that's why it's in the loser's bracket um, yeah fascinating wump had beat sex pollen but then went on to lose to mafia mob au so wump has now had two losses up against au's that have some things in common so that's interesting and wump is out Okay. Okay. So like, since we're in the loser's bracket now, guys, someone's getting kicked out almost every, every trope off. So we're starting to, we're starting to shed. We're starting to shed contenders, but that's how All right, this works. So what's going on? It's competition. What's going on this weekend? <laughs> so this weekend, um, I posted an interesting one. Friends with benefits versus outsider POV. Hmm. Interesting. Friends with benefits, one of my catnips. So yeah, I think I I've I'm fairly confident how it's going to turn out, and we'll find out next time we check in. But I think this is going to be one where people love the idea of both. I can already think of some funny things where friends with benefits plays out from an outsider POV. I think that would be really fun. Oh, there yeah, there's that famous barbershop quartet fic where the coffee shop girl can't figure out <laughs> who Natasha is with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think that's got a lot of potential, but it'll, I'll be interested to see. I haven't, I haven't even checked, so I don't know how people have been voting so far. So we will see. We will see. Fascinating. But that's it for Trope Off. Um, I will be fucking with numbers shortly because we need to do a couple of tiebreakers. Uh, so I doubt anybody is paying any attention at all to the, how the brackets actually work. But <laughs> if you do, I'm going to do a tiebreaker or two. Uh, to make sure that everybody ends up in the right bracket. Um, but but yeah, we're cruising along. We've got, I think, just those three now. Time Loop, Sex Pollen, and Wump. Pour one out for your fallen friends. They are going to sit on the bench for the rest of this, but now they get their water and orange slices and Gatorade, so I think they're okay. I think they'll be fine. Hi fandom, this is Only More Love, and I'm back with your events forecast. This is where I share with you all about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you. So put on your seatbelt and let's go! The usual note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find 
everything I mentioned in this forecast, linked and explained, in the show notes for each episode over on podonthesuit.com. Now that that's out of the way, let's move on to the fun stuff. A couple of fanzines linked their interest checks to Marvel Events Central, a Marvel Halloween charity fanzine, and a general Marvel zine. Both surveys are linked on the blog if you want to fill them out. The Marvel Bang is back for another round. It's open to all ships and has a minimum word count of 10,000 words. The Bang is open for signups until July 1st for authors, with claims starting on September 25th, and posting set from November 14th to December 17th. The mods of the What to Finish auction have announced a mini-auction round to support Asian communities in light of recent events. Signups will open on June 15th, and the rest of the schedule, as well as guidelines and other info, can be found on their blog. Signups for the Star Spangled Big Bang are open to artists until June 4th, with claims happening on June 11th. Don't miss out! A Stony Tropes bingo is underway. The mod is taking trope suggestions until May 20th, as well as sign-up requests until May 28th. We are invited to participate even without signing up, as cards will be posted on their blog. The round will go on between June 1st and September 1st. A Steve bingo has appeared, and sign-ups are open until May 16th. Go grab a card! A Stucky Week has been announced, well in advance, and will run from July 5th to July 11th, but the prompts are already available on their blog. So please, go check out the prompts as well as the rules so you can prep beforehand. Now that the fourth round of the Tony Stark Bingo is over, it's time for another series of Flash Bingos. The first set of cards has been released and runs until the end of the month. The Bingo Mods are also hosting a server party for Tony's birthday on May 19th. So if you're not already there, grab an invite, and if you are, don't forget to join. The Iron Strange Big Bang is back, and artists can still join until May 17th. Claims will happen from June 28th through July 12th, and posting is set to begin on November 12th. Signups and fills for the following are also still ongoing. Marvel Reverse Bang, Cap I Am Bingo, as well as the Lights on Park Avenue monthly prompts. And that's it for this episode, folks. This has been your events forecast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to us. We hope you'll join us again next episode. Until then, be safe and happy shipping. And that's it for episode seven, guys. First of all, happy, 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 happy birthday, Tony. Um, We're so excited to be able to spend another of Tony's birthdays with you guys. And uh, I remind you once more, if you have any amazing Tony's birthday celebration fan works of any kind, we would love to see them. Thank you so much to Courtney for our great conversation and our mutual Tony love and to Smilestar for providing our adorable cover art. If you guys want to talk Tony's tech with me, please hit me up in the podcast server or on my social media. I would love to dive into it more and hear your theories about how these things work. Um, 
even if that's not your bag, we'd still love to hear from you. Talk about Tony, why you love him, share your Tony fan works. And, uh, you can comment on the website, hit us up on any of our social medias or, you know, all those amazing podcast things, rate and review, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks for listening guys. Happy birthday, Tony. And we will see you next. You've been listening to pod on the suit. Thanks for joining us.